0: Thank <laughs> you.
1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Live from West End. Big week um, over here at Vanderbilt's campus. A huge football win out in Hawaii, 63-10 to 10 for the football team. And a really hot start for the soccer team. Um, they've kicked out to a 4-0 start. We're joined by podcast producer Aiden Rutman. Hello, hello. And um, we have soccer with Sam to start <laughs> off here. Um, <laughs> right. Sam Curtis, our sports copy editor, is here to talk Um That's soccer start. So the women are 4-0 on the season. They have not yet allowed a goal, um, and they just beat Providence last Sunday, which Sam was there to cover. So Sam, what have you seen so far? Really exciting kind of kickoff to this season.
0: Yeah. No, I think the the no goals is probably the biggest thing for me because it really is. I talked to Ambrose after the game, and he just talked about how it's really a team mentality, and I think that's the biggest thing about defending generally. It shows – Good communication and good chemistry among the team. Obviously, goals are important. And you need them, but that can be much more of an individual stat. Yeah. Um. So I think the I think the th- four shutouts mean more to me, and maybe mean more to Ambrose as a coach. Having said that, the the, the goals have also been, you know really from the team, the last three goals, you obviously had Ellis Schamberg's penalty, which mm-hmm. was a long time coming, like 55th minute, I think. Um, but the other three goals were all created by like Reagan Kelly crossing it and Rachel Dresky bringing it down. I mean, these uh, they were all from uh, a buildup that you could also see that team aspect. So I think that's what's most exciting about the start for this soccer other than the 4-0, no goals.
1: Yeah, and it felt like against Providence, um, they kind of, once they broke down that wall um it was just kind of an onslaught at a certain point in the second half obviously scoring four goals in the game the most they've scored um this season them and Kentucky are the only two teams the SEC that have gotten out to a 4-0 start um what do you think is kind of um have you seen from this team in order to to
0: consistently reproduce this this kind of effort I think another really exciting thing about this team is how deep they are yeah and uh, we saw that in the last 10 minutes of the first half you it was Vanderbilt definitely had the best of the beginning of the first half but they seemed to kind of turn it up and I think it was just fatigue for Providence it was fatigue and and they don't go as deep as Vanderbilt does uh, just looking at the subs I mean was that like 10 subs came in I mean that's crazy and mm-hmm. they're all very quality subs and so that's why you see these second half performances at home um, Vanderbilt scored uh, six goals in the second half in these last two games, and they play uh, another two home games for this this four game stretch. Yeah, so we'll see what they do. But I think a lot of that is maybe good conditioning, but also just great substitutions and a lot of depth from this team, um, from the youth as well as like you have graduate players and a lot of good leadership in. Players like Ella Schamberg and Maya Antoine, uh, Reagan Kelly. Yeah, Uh, you know even the the team that's gotten older. Yes, exactly. Um, but that's but they also have the youth. Like they've gotten older, but you know the youth is showing through Mm -hmm. players. I mean, three players scored their well first goal for Vanderbilt. Two scored their first goal collegiate goals, and uh, graduate um, Brooke Van Dyke scored her first goal for Vanderbilt after four years at Notre Dame, Mm -hmm. uh, which was also cool to see.
1: Yeah, so they've got East Tennessee State on Friday and then Lipscomb coming up. I think most interesting about what you've said is kind of this, this depth aspect that maybe they haven't had in the past when they've relied more so on uh, you know a singular score, whether it be a Haley Hopkins or someone else over the past couple of years. Um, it seems to be, at least for these first couple of games, um, really an attack that features multiple different girls. W- were you expecting really this start? Because for me, um, obviously – Wonderful to see, you know, the team kind of get out and, and rush out of the gates here. Um, but I, I don't know that I was expecting through four games to not have allowed a
0: goal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and to start 4-0 like this. Yeah, you hit on a bunch of things right there. I mean, one, I... I would not say I would have expected more of a transition into the season, kind of some like mm-hmm. rougher. I mean, last season we came in with a lot of attention in the top 25, a ranking this season. We haven't gotten that. We didn't get any votes in the top 25, which surprised me. Cause like you said, we're the only other four and O team other than Kentucky in, uh, in the sec. And I don't think we're going to get a lot of attention until we, after these next few games and like, you know, starting to turn some heads after a few more wins and starting to play some sec opponents. Um, but yeah, I think they've come together a lot quicker and that's a lot of credit to the coaching staff and the leaders on this team, um, for doing that. And I think the other thing you said is Haley Hopkins was the first person who came to mind when you said like a dominant offensive player. I mean, she was amazing, but the team was also very reliant on her Uh to produce late goals and just offense in general. Often it was just like, give her the ball and see what she can do. This team is not that way. You thought maybe like, rachel doreski would come forward as their leading scorer and she did in the first couple games but then suddenly alex kerr comes through and then even the you know the defender um uh, ella uh, Ella shamburger came through and scored that first goal and then you know young players did too it's it's good to see goals from a lot of different places
1: yeah to me it's almost if i can make a comparison it's almost like the hope for this year's men's basketball team In kind of that reliance on Scottie Pippen um, and that reliance on on Haley Hopkins that the soccer team has had over the past couple of years. When you get rid of that, there's obviously a lot of kind of questions in terms of who's going to step up. But I think what the team has done really well so far... Um, it's, it's kind of made that a collective effort, and like you mentioned, obviously there's um, a couple of, of more tune-ups before they get to SEC play and can and really prove themselves for the first time, um, but it's about as good of a start as you could have had considering kind of all these factors.
0: Yeah, I think your basketball and Scottie Pippen like, analogy is really apt because mm-hmm. we talked all the time about, what was it, when Scottie scores over 25 points, Vanderbilt rarely won. Yeah, they rarely won, and I'm not. You know, that just that that happens when you say like go and do it yourself. Teams focus more their defense on that. When you have like five different players who can suddenly pop off in a different game, you're like I don't know who exactly to look at, and you game plan for different things because this team can hurt you in many different ways, multiple
1: ways for sure. Um, Yeah, so looking forward as I mentioned, the team has got um, East Tennessee State this Friday at home. Lipscomb next week. Um, at home as well and then they're going to go on the road to middle tennessee state um, sam anything
0: else out of you from this uh from this first week yeah i think it's really important to get these home wins it's really surprising we haven't played east tennessee state since like 2008 we've only played them one time in our history which mm-hmm. pretty crazy to think about um, they are coming off their first win of the season they're 1-1-2 um, but they came off a one nothing win so you know, not incredibly high scoring there, and I'd look for another shutout and another win at home, and then we have game against Lipcombe, Lipscomb, and you know, I want to see the, I mean, I want to see them go seven to zero into this LSU game. That's what I'm looking for, but um, it's understandable if you know you have a team considering the success pack it in. I mean, Providence at a certain point, especially at the end of the first half, ten behind the ball, eleven behind the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is it's why you didn't see a first half goal, to be honest, because. They were really just packing it in, and, and Vanderbilt couldn't take the the chances with their 10 corners. I think that's going to be the biggest thing if they can start to make set pieces work because being uh, winning, scoring from the run of play when you have a team parking the bus and putting 9, 10, or 11 behind the ball is very difficult. But the way you break that often is with balls into the box, and this Vanderbilt team has the size to do it. They just haven't started putting them away. So I think that'll be the key to these games.
1: Yeah. Great stuff, Sam. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, we're gonna talk some football with Andrew, who is back from Hawaii. Okay, we're back um, with Andrew, who's back from Hawaii. Nice little week out in Honolulu. Ended on a pretty great note. Um, Vanderbilt with a sixty-three to ten win over Hawaii. That I'm sure um, our listeners have seen by now, but. Um, really encouraging start, I think, better than I was personally expecting and what we had talked about last week on the podcast. Obviously, there's a ton to get into, um, but Andrew, how was the week? Thoughts on the game? Give us give us some recap.
2: Definitely. It was such a special experience to be with the team for the whole week, and what I said to you guys last Thursday was, look, you can't really BS a culture, maybe a day or a press comments. You can say, hey, I want a winning culture, but you really see everyone buy in, and you saw with the result on Saturday. Let's just talk about the first drive Hawaii has. Hawaii goes down right. pretty seamlessly in scores. In 2021, Vanderbilt would not have scored on the possession after. They wouldn't have been able to be resilient and bounce right back. That's what I've been really impressed with, and that's something that the Clark Lee culture is really being bought into. Uh, I got a lot of uh, cool opportunities to be in Honolulu. got to go to Pearl Harbor. I... Uh, had to go, had the opportunity to have access and go to every practice. That was really unique, and I'm really grateful for the experience.
1: Yeah, huge thank you to the Vanderbilt Athletics um, communications team that was able to give the hustlers some access out there in Hawaii. Um, but, yeah, like you said, I think that was really encouraging from the beginning because if you were watching this game for the first seven and a half minutes, you were thinking, okay, here we go again, right? So um, – Really bad start in terms of letting Hawaii go right down the field. There was a couple of penalties on Vanderbilt's um, offensive drive on the next drive. Um, and, and generally just looked to be in a bit of disarray. But from then on out, really, um, once Vanderbilt was able to get on the board and, and once, I would say, Maxwell Worship kind of set the tone for, right. for the defense, um, this was a game that, that wasn't even close. And, and clearly Vanderbilt had the talent um, as well as kind of the schematic advantage to, to dominate Hawaii. Um, and I don't think that that is something that, that we've seen in quite some time. I was texting with our old sports editor, Justin Hershey, um, talking about, okay, this is the first time that we've won obviously since, uh, UConn of last year. But for someone like Andrew, who started, um, in 2020, this is what you're the third win you've seen. Third win I've
2: seen and. And the other two were
1: nail biters
2: <laughs> first first one I've been to actually in yeah. person, so it, it was a, a weird feeling and I'm not gonna lie when that happened I was so upset another another thing that I really had a, a really cool chance to do was I was able to go on the field uh, Alan who's the associate athletic director uh, for Vanderbilt. He said hey You can just stay on the field how long you want. I said look I have to write a story, too so I'll try <laughs> to go for the first quarter and then, I give him
1: responsibilities. <laughs> yeah,
2: and then they scored a touchdown. I said, I can't even watch this. I have to go back upstairs. <laughs> and then uh, maybe I was just bad luck on the field. But uh, my point is more just: I think people my class, people that are juniors and below, when you see the first drive like that, you do not think you're gonna have that forced fumble with Max Worship, and, yeah. and it's gonna go in Orgie's hands like like that. And you're not you don't think you'll have two defensive touchdowns, but. Look, I think it's a, it's a good time to have some surprise.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it felt like everything was working. Like, that first drive, you kind of held your breath. But I remember watching the game and thinking exactly what you said on the last show. Like, they have that confidence that there's something about this team that they just didn't have last year. I and agree. It's, it's in the same players that, that they had last year, but there's just something about it. Uh, and they just they responded so well to all the adversity. I mean, like... Personal personal foul on the first drive, mm-hmm. and then like a turnover on downs, or they punted it away, and then and, and a little it, bit
1: of weird play calling too yeah, to start definitely. that they had to overcome.
3: And then they went on a sixty three three to run run to and, close the game.
2: And when were the, when there were those penalties on offense, I was really worried about the offensive line before the game and before the season. When you see Tyler Steen leave, and then you see yeah. uh, Gunner uh, Harrison I think, Hanson Hanson, Hanson, Hanson yeah. sorry take take the left tackle spot. Uh, I was a little nervous, but I was really, really impressed with the way he the line was and fantastic. Bradley Ashmore did. Amazing. Yeah. Look at the holes that they got. The two running backs, Ray Davis had eighty seven yards and a touchdown. Rocco Griffin did really ran hard and it felt like the team was having like four or five yards per carry, and that's the way to win ball games and dominate uh the game.
1: Yeah, I think um we've written written about it, sorry, a little bit. Um, but just this, this rushing attack I think is is really what needs to be the focal point for this offense and starting that up front with the offensive line against Hawaii, setting the tone more impressive than I could have even imagined the group. Um, really cohesive. It seemed like there was a plan Vanderbilt ended up averaging 9.2 yards per rush, which is insane Um, rush for over 400 yards. Mike, Wright, Obviously speaking of individual performances, absolutely went off. Um, so I think from that end, just having an offensive line, um, that's a little bit more connected and, and maybe going to over overperform expectations this year is huge in terms of setting kind of that tone um, and creating an offense that's really run focused. But I think the other thing that that I really liked that I think can be transferable from what I saw was the design of the run game. So Honest wrote a really good piece about it today for our film room, but you've got Mike Wright running RPOs. You've got Ray Davis running kind of that outside zone read. You've got Rocco Griffin more on the inside zone um, with more of those North and South touches. And then you've got a guy like Jaden McGowan getting involved with the triple option, getting involved kind of on those um, jet sweeps. I think having all of those different variables and, and mixtures to kind of throw off Hawaii's pace and not really give them a chance to, to catch their breath and, all the while running straight at them in each of those plays was was huge and better than I could have even imagined in, ter- in terms of what I want this offense to look like and what I think will be the most successful version of this offense, given the personnel.
3: Yeah, I think I, I read an article today about how dominant the running game was. And like you look at it and you look at the running backs and the running back room is fantastic. And the craziest thing is, they're not even the most like electric rusher on the team. Like, Mike Wright is like the number yes. one threat. And that's <laughs> crazy because how do you stop a read option like that? You know, we saw it. He had the 87 yard rush touchdown. But even then, like, I felt like there were a lot of plays where it, it kind of looked dead. And this is going to happen a lot this year. But like, a, th- a second and 20 becomes third and manageable with Mike Wright just because of his legs. And, you know, to have a quarterback that can do that is just. Fantastic for your offense.
2: Yeah and talking about offensive uh, weapons talking about McGowan I was a little nervous at first just seeing these jet sweeps go for like two yards negative two yards Oh, he's just gonna be a gadget guy, but look when he gets an open field. He is a speedster. They got to get a nickname for him fast because uh, (laughs) Maybe jet or something. I don't know. We were talking Um, talking about juice last year. Yeah, like talking about juice this is a good one. And, and then, then it, yeah, sorry, going back to the running back room, I think we're going to touch on the, this a, bit, a little bit later. Patrick Smith, right before the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the game, like a day or two, two days before, Clarkley announces he's not going to play. And then, or no, sorry, he didn't even announce it. We realized it during the game. Yeah. I was going to say, I didn't hear anything And then he's it. not supposed to play this weekend, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so I heard that. I wonder what's going on there. Maybe it's off the field issues, but he traveled with the team in Hawaii, and he was practicing really well with the second and third team. Uh, Brandon Karp ma- wrote a really good piece about him, and I was just a little confused to see him not there. Uh, there there must be something going on, hopefully he's back soon.
1: Yeah, and I think that even to that point, um, Vanderbilt not necessarily having their full strength and still having this good of a rushing attack because Patrick Smith was someone that we had penciled in and talked about last week as someone we were really excited for in this rushing game, he brings a little bit more of a receiving element, um, one of one of the shiftier backs, I would say, in this room. And then even um, in, in a little bit of more news, someone that I expected maybe to get a couple carries um, against Hawaii, especially late once that thing was blown open, was was Mo Edwards, um, the three-star recruit out of Illinois. But Clark Lee announced this week that both him and Daniel Martin, who was the, the class's top um, recruit, had been dismissed from the team. I think Just talking on that for a second, um, I think coming off a week in which, Andrew, you talked about that culture was so strong in Hawaii and it was so evident within this program, um, Lee has earned himself a bit more leeway in terms of doing something as drastic as that because obviously um, when your top recruit is kicked off the team one week into the season, that's going to create headlines. But, you know, we don't know exactly what's going on, but for Clark to, as he kind of talked about, um, protect this culture and, and understand how to best build it um, from within that locker room, I think that he's begun to earn more of the benefit of the doubt in terms of doing that.
2: And, and only people inside the team really know what happens. But when you get the top recruit from 2022 and you are debating releasing him and letting go, letting him go of team duties, that's not like an overnight decision. This probably had a lot of thought. It was probably percolating for a while. And kind of going off of what you said, Clark Lee has that leeway to do that. But he he wants to save this culture, and you don't want to get bad apples no matter. His point is, look, I don't care how good you are on the field, how good you can be. If you're not buying into this culture, you're not a part of this team. And that was a really strong message that came out mon- uh, Wednesday morning.
3: Yep. I think he's he's earned that trust though. I remember seeing that headline, and I think in a lot of situations, exactly. I would be like, "What's going on? Why? Where was the where was the thought behind that decision?" But I trust him. I mean, especially after Hawaii, but I feel like I've trusted him. They brought him in uh, to change the culture and to bring the team around, and you know that's what he's gonna do. And I I gave him my full trust.
1: Yeah. So I think speaking defensively, uh, kind of continuing on that on that note. Really uh, another impressive performance. Obviously, this was a game to take a lot of positives from. You won 63-10, but Max Worship, I thought, visibly more comfortable in this defensive scheme than he was probably throughout any of the Derek Mason era or the Jesse mentor year last year. Um, B.J. Anderson made some big plays, the fifth-year senior, um, who really hasn't had an impact in a while. And then Anthony Orgy, like you said, with the scoop and score, um, I think there was a lot of guys who, who clearly seemed re-energized on this defense. And in addition to that, um, kind of the, the cadence of, of blitz packages and pressure that, that Nick Howell was able to dial up, I thought resulted in a pretty impressive performance. And obviously we're going to see more this week, and we're really going to see in two weeks against Wake Forest. But no complaints on that side of the football either.
2: And that's something I want to talk about. Howell... He is first-year defensive coordinator, and when I was in Hawaii, I was kind of like, you know what, this guy's kind of like a – not the warmest guy, but then I'm thinking on the, on the, on the <laughs> field, if I was a football defender, I don't want, like, someone to coddle me. I want you to be hard-nosed <laughs> and kind of be uh, to the point, and I think maybe in past regimes you see guys kind of trying to please – he's not trying to please anyone. He wants to win, and I talked to Max Worship after the game, and verbatim I said – what did it feel like to have 63 points for his time since 1969? He said, I wanted it to be 70. It wasn't <laughs> enough. And, like, that, that uh, the hunger and the wanting, it's just there's an identity with this team. and yeah, Totally. And, and yeah. I'm unbiasedly passionate about it because it's it's fun to watch something when something's developing from the ground up.
3: Yeah. I, I think w- one other player I want to outline is Miles Cecil. I mm-hmm. felt like, first of all, we, we – have a third of our sack count from last season, one game into the season, which is pretty great. Uh, He was the the first guy to get on the board for us with a sack. Uh, He kind of just shoved a 300-pound right tackle (laughs) directly out of his way with one hand uh, to get to the quarterback. I thought that was really exciting. I thought all three sacks were good. Two of them, the B.J. Anderson one and the Jaday Richard one, were both kind of scheme sacks, but Cecil was more just overpowering, and that was a really good sight.
1: Which is good to see because we mentioned quite a bit last time kind of that loss of of Miles Capers and how this team was going to be able— Um, to move on from that. And Cecil obviously transferred in here and making an early impact. Um, Great to see. And I think I'll just add before we move on to to Elon, kind of what you're talking about, Andrew, in conjunction with seeing this culture start to come around. um, I think that you know, running the ball and playing hard-nosed, aggressive defense, at least for me. I'm from Chicago. I've been a, a hopeless Chicago Bears fan for my entire life. I kind of love watching this style of football compared to what Vanderbilt has tried to do in the past, whether that be um, kind of a, a super spread screen game or, or hurry up or kind of that, that prevent defense that they ran last year.
2: Well, let's talk about the Chicago Bears for a second. In 2010, when they went to the NFC Championship game, it was Matt Forte in that backfield kind of commanding oh, the yeah. offense. And, look, Jay Cutler gets injured in the championship game. But the point is with Vanderbilt is when you can run the ball, a lot of things can happen. And when you have a dual-threat quarterback that uh, Mike Wright's 87-yard touchdown was the, would have been the sixth fastest in the NFL last season.
1: What was he running at, like, 20-point seven miles per hour or something insane. at top
2: speed yeah so, I saw there's, tweet so about that. there's so many it's really hard to game plan when you're running the ball well and you have over a quarterback and over, over. that's exactly. the biggest thing yeah, yeah. That was, um that was one thing I, I
3: remember during our hopeless uh sec portion of our schedule last season i remember i, I do a pod or a radio show as well with uh vandy radio uh, i remember getting on the radio show and talking about how we need to transition to how navy Plays football, totally. I literally need to run the ball like 50 times a game, and I, I don't know what do they run at 40 or something like that uh, against Hawaii. And obviously Mike Wright is a capable passer, but I, I really I I loved what they did, like running the air out of the ball. Yeah, you can't emphasize it enough.
1: Oh, I mean, and we talked about that um, in our season preview about kind of wanting that from this team, and yep. they executed it better than I could have imagined. They ran it a ton. Um, so moving on to Elon. Aiden, I know you've done a bit of research. We uh, released a behind enemy bylines today um, with a writer from Elon who actually actually predicted a Phoenix victory um, for bold. Elon. Yeah, bold of him. Um, but yeah, tell us a little bit about this team. Obviously, six and five last season. Um, they're an FCS squad. So
3: yeah, so they had a, a bit of a disappointing season last season. They were uh, projected to finish number twelve in FCS. Obviously, six and five was not not quite good enough for that. And then after that, they lost uh, their arguably their two best players. Definitely their two best offensive players. Uh, quarterback Davis Cheek graduated. He started forty games for them, threw like eight thousand yards, some like sixty touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, and then Jalen Thomas, uh, their star running back, who played four seasons, left uh, as a graduate transfer. Uh, he had two thousand yards, seventeen touchdowns with the team over his career. And they've they've got some guys who uh, who who can fill in. They got Matthew McKay, who's a transfer from Montana State um
1: and north carolina state before that right yeah, yeah yeah
3: he was he was underwhelming at nc state he went 12 and 3 with montana state in 2021 but i mean if you look at the stats he played 15 games and threw 17 touchdowns so i think a lot of it was uh, there was a lot of running uh uh-huh. there and then jalen hampton uh he, he has not played any uh collegiate snaps but he's from virginia tech he was a former three star uh, i read a bit about him about him in uh, fall camp he looked pretty good so th- th- it's nothing to to underestimate, but it's definitely downgrades from last season. Uh, can't overlook them, though.
2: We overlooked them <laughs> last year. S- since 2015, the SEC has lost to one F- FCS opponent. <laughs> we don't need to go back to it. but We all know. Th- the point is, this is a different Vanderbilt team. Um, obviously, you can't overlook it. And we know, as they've prepared for Hawaii, and Hawaii had a lot of uh, things going on. They had four quarterbacks. They didn't. They didn't know who was going to start. They they didn't overlook them. And I really don't think the Commodores are looking like, oh, we need to beat Wake. They are. This is Elon week, and yeah, y- you feel it in the energy. One game at a time.
1: Yeah, yeah and I actually think that kind of why I wanted to bring it up is there is a little bit of, well, you know, I'll give. There's some talent on this Elon team. Sure. You know, I, I won't even say a little bit. They've got some power five guys who have come and obviously they won six games last year. I think arguably this is going to be a team um, that's going to give Vanderbilt a little bit more of a fight than Hawaii. And as you guys mentioned, we don't need to rehash what happened last year, but this is not a program that should overlook an FCS opponent coming to town. Um, So I think kind of sticking to that identity that Vanderbilt's creating is really what I'm looking for this weekend, continuing um, to find ways to just dominate up front and and run the ball, as well as – become more comfortable in this defensive scheme. Um, And then, you know, hopefully assuming all things go well, which I'm saying with great caution after having said the exact same words in this, in this uh, booth last year before um, the game that shall not be mentioned. um, Hopefully getting some of those young guys in again, obviously AJ Swan um, had a couple drives at the end of last game, but I think this should be another tune up for Vanderbilt. It should be another game where they kind of continue to establish That culture and the presence that Clark Lee wants to have, and and continue to show the country um, that this is this is a program that's on the up um, and one that's very different from this time last year when Clark first took over.
2: Yeah, and and I think uh, a key to success will be similar to Hawaii uh, winning it from the run game. I expect a lot, even more runs than last week. Like I'm, I'm talking about in the first half, obviously, and. I expect a, a sense of urgency right from the beginning, uh, like less of a slow start than last week. But you know, you never know what's going to happen until Saturday comes around. But look, I don't think has Vanderbilt ever played Elon. I don't know if they they
1: played once before in 2010. Okay, um, I believe Vanderbilt won 45 to 14. Okay, Casey Hayward was on that team.
2: Wow. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that they can't they can't overlook them. But this is the Commodores' easiest matchup of, of, of the season coming in. And yeah. it, it could be a good opportunity for Mike Wright and uh, the rest of the the number ones to to sit after the third quarter, kind of like last week, which is a luxury that the Commodores have not really gotten in the past few years.
3: Yeah, I mean, speaking to that luxury, like I think we talked about it a little on the show, but like the first step to relevance in the SEC is being able to dominate these teams. You see Alabama mm-hmm. do it every year, and like nobody bats an eye. They're just like, yeah, they're Alabama. And you know, hopefully, we get to that point where it's yeah, it's Vanderbilt. Um, and and one other thing I want to add about this matchup, that I think will help Vanderbilt uh, in this week, and then maybe even against Wake, is they already have a game under their belt. They're all healthy, so they haven't like lost anyone really. Good point. Yeah. In that game, this is this is a tune up for them, and a lot of teams are going to be shaken off rust, and Vanderbilt's just going to be one step ahead of them. I feel like.
1: Yeah. Great point. Um, I think what you mentioned. Really, in general, and Andrew going back about this being um, a, a game where Vanderbilt should take care of business and, and not only um, win like they're supposed to, but begin to kind of stack those wins, um, really elevates this program as a whole. Um, okay, so Aiden, we're going to make you go first again. We're going to do some score predictions to close out here. Um, what are you thinking for this weekend?
3: Well, since I was the closest last uh, last week, <laughs> it, it only yeah, makes sense Your optimism. I go first. Um, so I'm going to go 45 to 10. Vanderbilt takes it a little bit of a, a bigger margin than last time, but I don't know I just think they've got the confidence and
2: uh, they're ready to win again So the spread 17 and a half and the over-under is 50 and a half. I'm gonna kind of go near there. I'm gonna say 35-14
1: 35-14. I'm actually Unintentionally gonna go with a Fetty whopping here. I'm gonna say Vanderbilt <laughs> 38 Elon 17 I think uh, <laughs> maybe a little bit of a slower start um, But Vanderbilt should roll here Um, and have a lot of momentum going into week two against Wake Forest. Um, All right, that's our show for you today. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back with you next week with our former sports editor, Justin Hershey, to catch up with him ahead of uh, Wake Forest. Best of luck to the soccer team and the football team this weekend.